I'm Anthony Walsh, and this is episode number 688 of the Roadman Cycling Podcast. This is a show where we empower you with the tools to optimize your health, your happiness, and your longevity. Today is another in our series known as the Founder Series, where I get inside the minds of the entrepreneurs that make this planet tick. And today's guest is Andy Duckworth. He is a former CEO of MyProtein, one of the supplement brands that just has exploded worldwide. He's taken all that knowledge and he's taken all that power and he's co-founded a company called NatureCan CBD. This is a fascinating insight into how you can use success to replicate further success, create systems, and also a fascinating insight into the growing area of CBD and its uses and applications. This is what awaits you on today's podcast. But in terms of the science of um, hemp plant, you know, and uh, medical cannabis, you know, in a better place to comment, you know, but not as, as good a place as a doctor would be. Um, but I don't see many doctors who would prescribe, you know, alcohol to people, whereas people, you know, doctors are now prescribing medical cannabis. I think if you always put yourself in the eyes of the customer, you could do okay in business because that's what you're trying to do uh, because they're the most important people along with your staff. No, I've never smoked, um, never even smoked a cigarette, never mind smoked weed. Um, my business partner, Mr. Paul Finnegan, won't mind me uh, plugging that he certainly smoked some weed. Um, <laughs> so it was more the science behind it. Throw your mate under the bus there. Andy, welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast. Thanks for having us. Much appreciated. Andy, how did you get interested in sports nutrition in the first place? Yeah, I guess, you know, as a 17-year-old or a 16-year-old, started going to the gym and you, know, you go in there and you probably don't see much changing for a while. And then you work out how you can you know, get better or, you know, get, get the edge a little bit more or get more of a, a return on your time investment in the gym and started looking at sports nutrition and trying to work out, you know, can it help me? And then you understand, I guess, the impacts of macros, you know, higher protein, vitamins and minerals and all that type of stuff. So, yeah, it was back in, you know, back in the day. Um, that's my sort of memories of how I got into sports nutrition, really. What year would that have been? Because I'm like mainstream consciousness on tracking macros. It's not that well of a developed i know you've spent your life in an ecosystem where macros and knowing exactly what your protein rda is is quite normalized but for your average joe that's still only coming into mainstream prominence like what year are we talking about when you started hitting the gym and inquiring about this stuff well i'm 41 now um i'm guessing then you know doing the maths it was around about 1997 98 something like that and yeah, you know, whether I was well-read, you know, more than the average 17-year-old, I very much doubt. Um, but yeah, that is my recollection of, of getting into it, is how can, you, how can you get better? So it would have been around then, what, 20, 25 years ago now. Were people looking at you a bit odd? I remember I had a friend of mine who was playing rugby at quite a high level. And he told me one day when we were out running that he was taking creatine. And I was looking at him like he was taking heroin. I was like, you're taking what? What are you doing? Is it dangerous? Yeah, no, definitely not. Because unfortunately, I was very much an average Joe in the gym, you know, making little progress. So you definitely not look at us and think, um, you know, this this guy's getting the edge, you know, on sports nutrition. But my earliest recollections of creatine were actually, I think, when Arsene Wenger started feeding it to the Arsenal team, and it got a little <laughs> bit of a, um, a bit of press. But that was well after that. But that's that's when creatine, in my mind, became a bit more mainstream. 
it's funny how our early experiences though shape who we become. I was reflecting on kind of my quite modest entrepreneurial journey compared to yours. But looking back on my childhood, my dad was such a wheeler dealer because we grew up in quite a working to middle class family. So he was always building bikes. He was an army man, but after work, he'd come back and he'd be fixing bikes for one part of his life and then selling them off. He used to spray them all the same color. Then there was another period of his life where he was like an antique dealer. But that just gets imprinted into you. And I remember like my earliest like attempts at business, probably highly illegal stuff. Like I was printing up uh, flyers for like news agents and stuff. And I would deliver the flyers and then go into the news agent and be like, hey, I just delivered a thousand flyers for your business. And have you seen any uplift in your business as a result? Now do you want to you know, sign up for a 5,000 flyer package? But I was printing them out on an old school computer. Like that was one of the early things. And I was fixing bikes. I was selling like counterfeits, reproduction, replica, antique stuff that my dad was working on. I'd sell it to friends in school. But all of that, I think, informed that transition for me where it seemed quite natural to figure out how to make cash myself rather than work for someone else and get it handed to me. Did you have those sort of early formative experiences? Yeah, definitely not. You know, so I was, yeah, I sort of went through the corporate machine really initially. So the, you know, my first roles in business were at Matalan Pets at Home, a place called Blue Veritas. Now, don't get me wrong, I was, I was selling ice pops, you know, on the school bus or whatever. <laughs> so, but yeah, there's no like impressive, you know, definitely don't consider myself to be an impressive entrepreneur anyway, because I wasn't, um, you know, it's the, there was, there was that type of activity, but then I went through the corporate machine, which I think teaches you, you know, good, good skill set, good values. And then it's enabled me, I guess, you know, to make an impact on, on various businesses, you know, like my protein, um, and then giving me the skill set to have a go at setting a couple of things up myself, you know, with the help of plenty of other people and I guess the great people network that you build up, you know, over time. Um, so yeah, that that's probably how I would position, you know, my journey really. So fill in that blank for me from this kind of green kid who's in the gym, kind of experimenting with these powders that not a lot of people know about at the time, creatines, proteins. How do you go from that to having the spark to think, okay, maybe I'll stop selling ice creams to the lads at 100% markup. Maybe I'll start figuring out how I can sell powder. Yeah, well, again, you know, in effect, that took, um, it sort of took 15 years because, you know, the my protein was formed by a guy called Oliver Cookson, who did a great job. And I think, you know, he took that business to around about 20 mil. Uh, then the Hook Group stepped in, uh, where I was, I guess, a member of staff at the time. And, you know, the Hook Group purchased my protein and, you know, we carried on that journey, you know, and, and like I say, with the help of a lot of people, we took it to global leading sports nutrition brands. So it was, it, you know, that's the, the the short, you know, story there. Um, so it was, again, applying those corporate skills that I'd learned, but being a customer, you know, of my protein and also being pretty obsessed with sports nutrition, it, it did give you that, I guess, added benefit of being able to look at the products that were being sold, make up maybe for any shortcomings in terms of, ability levels or brain power because uh, when you're a customer of a business that you can look at it incredibly well and work out how it could possibly be made you know even better um, and again one of the early one of the early questions that I always had as a customer of my protein was just there were certain products I couldn't buy uh, that I really wanted or that were stocks that weren't on sale so that was you know a, a good example of why can't I buy impact wear protein why can't I buy a multivit and why can't I buy the cod royal all in one go 
to solving those type of, uh, you know, really small conundrums. Um, I guess, you know, when I got the gig as the CEO, that, that allowed us to, you know, make so, some form of impact. But, you know, jumping ahead, I guess, the real sort of belief that I've always had in, you know, in business, whether it's right or wrong, and it's served me well, you know, generally is that it's just the strength of your team, the strength of your people, you know, that, that makes a good business. And I've always thought that, you know, it's people that build businesses, that build, you know, successful business models that tend to sort of spurn themselves over time, you know, iteratively. Um, and if you look after people and go with them, um, you know, that is what I guess is the, the recipe for some form of, of success. And that's, that's something I believe in. And how do you choose the right people? Um, first time trial and error. Um, you know, again, a, a lot of work at the time on LinkedIn, you know, so once you, your day job's done, maybe, you know, you've done your, um, your seven till seven or whatever, you then sit on LinkedIn and you go through, you know, various CVs or various people or whatever, and, and you make contact with them and then you speak to them, see whether you hit it off with them, whether you've got that synergy. And then you only really know once somebody actually starts working with you, you know, what they're what really like, but you try and make an informed decision and, and then, even then, you've got to put time into people and they put time into you. You know, it's very much a two-way thing when you get to realise, can you work with people, you know, or not, and how successful can it be? And then, I guess, if you've got a good relationship with these type of people, and then if you do your next gig, you know, they're going to be with you again. And that's really important because then you really find out whether you've done a good job or not. If people will want to work with you, you know, for a second time. Does the process of choosing employees and partners and people you surround yourself with does that change as a company grows like if you're a five person company versus a five, 50 person company versus a 500 person company yeah yeah massively uh, i guess in the early days you know you're looking for you know maybe jack of all trades master of master of none um, you want flexibility commitment resilience because when you're in a startup you know the the challenges are different than maybe the more stable larger corporate you know i guess a corporate that is growing slowly is the ideal environment for for some people who don't want you know maybe the the ups and downs that come you know with a startup um whereas some people absolutely live and breathe you know the exhilaration the, the unpredictability <laughs> of a startup so yeah you definitely look for different profiles um but i guess you know the major common characteristics that you look for that i look for anyway you know would be loyalty resilience you do want some degree of you know, brain power is the wrong word, you know, ability, you know, whether it's numerate, whether it's marketing, um, you know, there, there's got to be a spark in that. Um, and you're ultimately, I think, defined in business, you know, by the quality of your people because it's the people who build the business. Have you played around with personality tests? I've done one, it, it, but in terms of, I've done one myself. Yeah, sorry. But in terms of my recruiting of people, no, you know, I'm probably not the most, I, I'm quite impulsive. So I personally would go off you know, how I've interacted with with a person, but the results of the personality test that I took and that I've seen for other people, you know, were pretty accurate, actually. You know, the psychometric tests or whatever. So definitely respect them as a tool, um, but not something that I would get bogged down in too much myself. 
It's yeah. I one of the earliest pieces of advice I got was don't hire friends. And in all my early businesses, I only hired friends. Like every single person I worked with was a friend. Because I'm like, I don't need to get like a shit reference that someone forged off somebody I don't know. And it's like, oh, you know, John then is an amazing employee's timekeeping. I was like, I've known this guy 20 years. I've 20 years of character references for this guy. I know exactly his strengths and weaknesses. Why wouldn't I work with him? Is there a downside to working with friends that I missed? Yeah, um, no, I'd, I'd say that you know, you know the person, you know you can get, you know, in terms of from each other and work well with each other. You know, certainly the, the early recruits that I made in my pro team actually were, were good friends who did really well for us. I'd say that now, having been in ecom, you know, for whatever it would be, I don't know, fifteen years, you know, I consider most of my staff as friends. You know, it's, there's obviously a few new who haven't got to friend status yet, just purely because the you know that we haven't known each other long enough, but. Mm-hmm mentality anyway you know you want to get on with the people you work with um because you spend a lot of time with each other and i also think if you're getting on you know it's easier to ask for things you know you know, to ask you for things if you will so it's that two-way you know relationship so yeah not against that as a, a way of doing things I have a really exciting season of gravel racing plans, such cool races i absolutely cannot wait to get over to kenya for the migration gravel race but I'm also not going to slip on this podcast. We're sticking to the six days a week schedule that I've promised. So I need to find tools to make sure that every single error I have free counts. That's why I'm really happy to announce that I'm partnering with Wattbike. The Wattbike Adam is in the recording studio. And if I have an error between interviews, I jump on. It's removing all the friction points. No more 10 minute setup. No more unfolding legs, banging my knees off stuff, oil all over my hands. No more connection issues. It just works hassle free every single time. The Adam is perfect for his whiff riding with crisp gear changes, 1% power accuracy, and a max gradient capability of 25%. Even if I'm riding the steepest climbs over in Watopia, it's absolutely fine. At the moment, I'm actually riding the custom gearing setup. So if I'm riding a particularly hilly route, I'll select a more suitable climbing gear ratio. If you're looking for an indoor trainer, I couldn't recommend this any higher. It's the best indoor trainer I've ever used, and it's the last indoor trainer you're ever going to need. If you jump on over to whatbike.com, you can use the code ROADMAN10 to get 10% off your purchase. This is going to work in the UK, Australia, wherever in the world you are, US, anywhere. That's ROADMAN10. Just apply the code at checkout. How do you build, this is quite a broad question and it's probably going to be, you'll throw it back to me with 10 more follow-up questions, but how do you go about building a brand? Like I think about my kitchen counter at the moment and I have three, possibly four different tubs of protein that are all stages from fully empty to fully full. But the only brand I can name is my protein. I don't know what the other brands are. They're just ones like an Oreo one, ones a Bueno one, but I don't know what brands they are. My protein seems to be the only recognizable. Like if I think about painkillers, I immediately think of Panadol. I even will go into the pharmacy and I'll ask for Panadol, even if I, and they'll show me two packets and I'll be like, oh, I'll have that one, which is something totally different. And it's not Panadol. It's the generic name has become, you know, the name for the whole industry almost. My protein almost feels like it's at that level. Like I'll say to my girlfriend, oh, you know, if you're going now and pick me up uh, my protein and she'll come back with something totally different and I won't scold her for it. But it feels like you've defined a genre of products. How deliberate or difficult is that to do? Yeah, so the initial question was, I guess, how do you build the brand? I mean, I think that, you know, word of mouth is actually, you know, an absolutely massive key 
marketing channel. That's always going to exist. And what underpins that, I think, is quality you know, of products because without quality products, you know, you're not going to get customers coming back and the repeat rate, which is what drives certainly the e-com businesses. You know, that's that's something we've really tried to take into nature camp um, as well. You know, it's, you want customers to come back because they absolutely love your products. The, which comes down to quality, I think, you know, reliability of service delivery is is key as well. You know, generally, customers can understand we get quite emotive. You know, the letdown on the on the delivery side of things as well, and then customer service itself is something that yeah, you know, I've always been really passionate about, and the people who look after those areas. You know, whether it was at My Protein, whether it's at Nature Cam, you know, they absolutely live and breathe in you know, customer service. You know, I can certainly vouch for Nature Cam's customer service. It, you know, our guys live and breathe it. I still get every customer email within NatureCam, uh, so I can see what's going on and make sure that customers are being responded to quickly and the guys within and understand the problems in the business as well. You know, you get to see everything that's going on and the guys, you know, for me now in that area are genuinely phenomenal, you know, in that area. And I think that's the difference between being maybe a, a 3.5 star rated business on Trustpilot versus a 4.5 star. You know, you're never going to be at five because of delivery issues, actually question was talking about building a brand and i branched off a little bit i think the differentiators of what can be quite commoditized products is great delivery great customer service and unwavering quality in the product and is there a constant trade-off because my protein was very known for two things in my mind affordability and quality but it seems like they're two opposing forces to pull against each other as affordability increases do you have to jeopardize quality for that or how does that trade-off between those two work yeah no it's, it's definitely not um separate points and something can be unbelievable quality and affordable on price um and that's that is what my protein is it's also what we built nature can cbd on you know we want the products to be affordable and unbelievable quality and it was always a battle at my protein getting across to the end consumer this is good quality stuff but we're just not ripping you off with it you know and, and obviously i'm not involved at my protein now but we'll stand behind the quality of that brand you know it's really really strong and the same with nbd it's all sourced from america um we're not buying the cheap stuff you know we're fully in charge of that supply chain uh, we actually own the factory now or the extractor unit in America where we get our CBD. So again, I think it's the long-term game of making sure the quality is absolutely spotless. All the testing, you know, it, it comes with additional costs, but it will pay you back in terms of repeat rates of customers. Customers eventually get the message for sure. You know, that customers are, they want to buy, um, you know, something they can rely on, and rightly so. And it's something that, you know, I, I am definitely not a marketing expert, clearly. I'm an accountant. I know very little about marketing. <laughs> Um, but as a customer, I would want high quality, transparency, reliable delivery, great customer service. And why step away from my protein? Was it just the race is run and it's time for a new challenge, or was there something else? Yeah, no, the, the race was run. Um, you know, I had a, a, a great, what would have been, I think, seven years at the Hook Group. Um, you know, really good sort of success for, I guess, both parties there and um, wanted to ultimately, you know, build my own thing. Um, you know, the micro team, we, we had great success with it. You know, this can continue to have success as well. You know, the business has done great since then. I think it's well over half a billion sales now and, you know, full credit, you know, to the guys in that business who have continued and, you know, loads of great stuff in there. But 
I wanted to build my own team uh, again, you know, and build my own business again, if you will, or so not again, build my own business full stop, you know, and we've got a couple of businesses that I'm involved in now, this nature camp, which is the CBD and wellness. And, you know, that's going really, really nicely. And there's another great business called eComplete where we offer sort of online services to businesses to help, I guess, share the learnings that, you know, we've accumulated over the last sort of 10, 15 years with an e-com and both those businesses allow me to work with the people again, you know, who worked with previously. And that's something really important to me. So when you're sitting down and you're reflecting and, you know, I, I can't imagine you were in the position I was in after coming back from being a pro cyclist where you're refreshing your bank balance when you're going to buy a coffee, hoping when you tap that card, it actually taps and you don't get that embarrassing, oh shit, insufficient funds. I'm assuming you were in a good place financially after my protein. And did that choice to go into startup again, because it's, Startup, it looks glamorous as everything does on Instagram, but it's fraught with late nights, stressful conversations, failed product launches. It's not a glamorous life and it's not enjoyable for everyone. And it can put strain on relationships, financial resources, everything. Like why throw your hat in the ring and bring so much stress on yourself again on the back of the success you had at MyProtein? Yeah, you're definitely speaking as a guy who's who's been through it. Um, ultimately, like I was never in work for money. You know, I mean, to build things, you know, work with great people. Um, so both businesses have allowed me to, like I say, work with guys I've worked with previously again, you know, who absolutely love working with. I've got great partners, you know, in both businesses. So one guy called Paul Gedman, who I knew really well. He was at the hut with me for um five or six years um seven or eight years actually whatever it will be and you know love working with paul there's another guy called paul finnegan who founded nature Camp with so again just you know love working with paul f as well so just there's that side of it like i said working you've worked before i guess you want to use the knowledge that you've accumulated um you know helping to build a global leader it would be a, a shame not to try and use that again and i, and I think we're well on the way to doing that with nature Camp cbd and wellness and we're actually pivoting as well into medical cannabis and you know i really believe we'll build the you know the online leader over the next five or ten years in medical cannabis um so there's that side of it love building things love working with people love a challenge and yeah you're right you know it comes with a you know an immeasurable number of challenges small challenges every day you know start up different challenges you know you spend a lot more time looking at the cash balance and you know working out on funding and this type of thing but um, but it's enjoyable. And I think when you feel you're in control as well and you're answering ultimately to yourself, um, that's something I really enjoy, uh, you know, being being in control. Yeah, it's nice having that direct feedback between a decision you make and the fruits of that labor straight away. You know, it's not like when you're working in a bigger business, you make a decision, but then it gets kicked up to the next person, the next person, and it could be months before you see the implementation of that decision. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I have to say at the hut, you know, we were very impulsive quick you know we, that's why we had success we, we were very sort of flexible and you know, so so at my protein we work you know we were fast you know for a business of that scale growing that quickly you know, one of the reasons of our success you know as a management team we were we were fast to move on certain things so you know luckily that wasn't really a challenge but you know in a negative way you know we were we were quick to move and i felt we understood i guess what what the customer wanted and just rolling back to that, I think if you always put yourself in the eyes of the customer, you could do okay in business because that's what you're trying to do uh, because they're the most important people along with your staff. 
my mom has rheumatoid arthritis. She's had it like since I can remember. And one of the things that's given her great pain relief through the years has been CBD rubs. You know, she's on all sorts of medication, but that's something that's always given her great relief. And I know then when I got into cycling and started having the inevitable run-ins with the tarmac and I'd come home bruised and badly battered after a crash, it was something I started kind of like stealing from my mask. You know, I'm going to rub a bit of her CBD rub. And it gave me great relief from injuries. But I was almost embarrassed or reluctant to let people know I was using it at times because it's a very misunderstood product still. And so we have cannabis who some of us, you know, will have had relationships with when we were growing up. You might have smoked a bit of weed. And then we have the two distinct parts inside cannabis. THC, which is the psychedelic compound in cannabis, and CBD, which is the other non-psychedelic. Where did you come across CBD? Did you smoke weed? Do you smoke weed now? Was that your gateway into this area? Yeah, good question. No, I've never smoked, um, never even smoked a cigarette, never mind smoked weed. Um, my business partner, Mr. Paul Finnegan, won't mind me uh, plugging that he certainly smoked some weed. Um, <laughs> so it was more the science behind it. Throw your mate under the bus there. <laughs> no, he's, he's, yeah, he's proud of that. He's um, v- very experienced uh, sort of um, herb smoker. But yeah, it was the science behind it. You know, And you're right in terms of people maybe, you know, it's becoming more commonplace and people might be in inverted commas, yeah, covert about it. But it's actually science, you know, looking at the endocannabinoid system, CB1 receptors, CB2 receptors. And that's why you know, I'm very excited by where CBD can get to, where other cannabinoids can get to, and then where medical cannabis will get to, you know, in the next sort of 5, 10, 15 years. Um, there, is, there is pure science behind this. Um, and... I just think bit by bit, you know, doctors within the UK and Germany and the rest of, I guess, Western Europe are, are catching up, um, beginning to open their eyes a little bit, you know, to it. And uh, it will end up a really, really large industry. It clearly exists, you know, on the black market, recreational already, you know, in the billions and billions of dollars or pounds or whatever. So there's a massive market out there, but there's just a transition now between moving that, you know, if you will, from the black market to to a regulated space, you know, that, that will emerge. And it's dead exciting to be in that space. I had a chance to chat with the Factor founder, Rob Jatelis, on the podcast. It's worth going back to check out that episode. I was super impressed with him personally. Factor are really pushing the boundaries of what's possible with aerodynamics in bike design at the moment, but they're doing it with a social conscience, and that's what's so impressive for me. They're mindful of that environmental impact, paying employees a living wage, and resisting the urge to relocate production, like so many competitors, to lower-cost labour markets. I'm super proud to be riding Factor bikes for the upcoming season. If you're considering buying a bike for yourself, put me a DM over on Instagram or over on Twitter, and I'm going to give you a personal introduction to the guys at Factor and make sure you get the very best possible experience. What's most exciting about the science at the moment? I've seen various studies, everything from anxiety, depression, pain relief, inflammation, insomnia i think i even read one on epilepsy i could be wrong there but what's the most exciting applications of cbd at the moment yeah i mean all all of what you've listed there are exciting and i think it depends on the individual you know if you've got 
a challenge in any of those areas, that's the one that's exciting to you. You know, the beauty of the industry is that these are all really widespread challenges that people have. You know, I mean, I personally find it really good, you know, to help me sleep. Um, and, and what a win that is, you know, to sleep deeper, even just taking basic CBD. But we all suffer from, you know, inflammation challenges and many people suffer from sleep disorder. So it will, um, it will help. You know, I think in the next sort of 15, 20, 30 years, the vast majority of people. So I think it's exciting depending on what the individual's challenge is. But the exciting thing for me is, is that most people are affected by one of those uh, challenges that you've listed. Have you played around with using sleep trackers like Aura Ring or Whoop and experimenting with CBD without CBD and the effects of it? No, no, no. Just took the nature can CBD, you know, gen- genuinely. My sleep is like, it's not some huge issue for me. It's just I tend to, you know, stay switched on, work late, you know, not relax much. So just fine taking some CBD before I go to sleep helps me wind down a little bit, um, you know, for that last sort of 15, 20 minutes of the day. Um, yeah, so nothing more exciting than that, I'm afraid, from my end. So what's, what's your protocol for taking CBD? How much do you take and how close to bed? Well, in the UK, the uh, the recommended daily allowance is 70 mg's, which is ridiculously prudent, um, I will say. Um, obviously, I stick to that 70 mg's um, before I go to bed. Well, yeah, because I was researching prior to the podcast, and th- the studies I was seeing was like 200 to 250 milligrams for the effects they were talking about in the studies. And then I read the UK guidelines at 70 milligrams. I was like something's off here and that was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Why is the the government guidelines set so low and the research papers seem to be researching much higher dosages? Well, firstly, you know far, far more about this than I do. Very good that you've done your homework. Yeah, I think it's just um, the government, if you will, catching up. You know, it's always going to take a, a prudent view initially and then the RDAs will edge upwards. I mean, you know, even the 200s, the 250s is pretty prudent. You know, it's uh, it's not for me, you know, as a non-doctor to be telling people how much to take. You know, I've got to stick to the rules, if you will. But yeah, they are prudent levels and the stuff works and people end up self-titrating, you know, and people are big boys and girls, so they'll decide what works for them, you know, and take it accordingly. Can you take too much? I don't think there's any studies showing um, that you can take too much. Um, but... Again, maybe uh, you can quote me on that, but don't quote me on that, if you will. Um, but there'll be others more informed than me on that. Yeah, I, I had a friend who bought these uh, bought these gummy bears. They were CBD, but they were also mixing in that THC component into these gummy bears. And he ate the full gummy bear. And I was talking to him like two days later, and he was like, I nearly lost my soul with that gummy bear. And he said he rang back the dude who he bought the gummy bears off, and he's like, dude, like I was in a bad way. I ate that gummy bear and like I was questioning like my existence. So I went to a bad, dark place. It was a bad trip. And the dealer said to him, he's like, you ate the full gummy bear. You're only meant to eat the head of the gummy bear. And he's like, what are you selling full gummy bears for if you're only meant to eat the head of them? <laughs> so- <laughs> I'm with you, mate, yeah. I think he did what common sense w- would have uh, done and ate the full thing. I mean, and again, that's the difference in THC and it's, you know, the psychoactive or one of the psychoactive cannabinoids that some people, you know, will react um, differently to, you know, CBD, as you pointed out, is totally non-psychoactive and therefore it would be you know, impossible, if you will, to, to trip out or whatever. So there is a difference and that's why THC 
which falls into medical cannabis, you know, it's far more regulated. Um, and again, does great things for many people, but should be regulated, you know, should be measured and should be administ- uh, administered, you know, via a doctor, which is where the medical cannabis space, you know, is sort of headed, albeit I think a little bit slowly. And is that something you as a company are actively pushing and lobbying towards looser regulations around that or legalization of it? It seems like such an artificial distinction. I went out two days ago and it was a friend's birthday party and I went out and I drank way too much wine, like way, way too much. I had like a bottle and a half, two bottles of wine. I woke up the next day. I don't drink very often. So when I drink that, I drink to excess. And then the next day I just I swear I'm never drinking again. I'm miserable to be around all day. And a buddy of mine went out. He didn't drink at all. And he smoked weed that night. He had a great night. He seemed to have as much fun as I did. The next day he woke up and he had a six-hour bike ride. No effects at all. It seems like we've drawn a very artificial line in the sand between alcohol, well, that's cool, versus marijuana. No, you can't have that at all. It seems to have less of the addictive properties. This is anecdotally me speaking. Ireland is a country which is, you know, ravaged by alcoholism and the problems that that brings, antisocial behavior, drunken disorderlies, all that. I don't see any of that associated with marijuana usage. I haven't seen studies to back up that it's associated with any of that. Some people may be advocating to gateway drugs and other drugs. I'm not sure about that, but why do you think we have such tight regulation around marijuana and looser regulation about around some seemingly more much harmful compounds? Yeah, I think you summed it up really well. Um, I just think convention. You know, I think human beings generally overly respect convention. You know, what's always been done. I think it's a dangerous place. Um, whereas actually, just questioning, you know, anything and everything, you know, within reason is a more sensible way to do things. Um, I guess it's always been accepted to drink booze, you know, which is fine, uh, if, you know, if that's what you want to do. But then weed, not smoke weed myself, so not in the best place to actually comment on weed itself, but in terms of the science of um, the hemp plant, you know, and uh, medical cannabis, you know, in a better place to comment, you know, but not as, as good a place as a doctor would be. Um, but I don't see many doctors who would prescribe, you know, alcohol to people, whereas people, you know, doctors are now prescribing medical cannabis. So I just think convention and human beings following, you know, what's always been done. If you see a queue, people tend to join it. Uh, not always the best place to be in a queue. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, will the big pharma companies, there, anytime there's a profit to be made somewhere, they migrate towards it. Uh, do you see the emergence of those big pharma companies, your Johnson & Johnson, your Pfizer, the people, you know, with some of the largest criminal negligence fines in history? Do you see them emerging into this market? Yeah, I think big pharma will definitely, you know, let this industry um, grow a little bit more and then we'll start moving in, you know, and probably hoover up the most successful players within it, um, which is, again, you know, natural. I think they will probably allow their products if you will, have you know, no doubt had a lot of R and D expense, you know, spent on them over the last few decades, you know, to, to carry on for a bit longer. But eventually, I, d- I don't think you can stop this movement of medical cannabis globally. You know, it's obviously really started to move fast in in the states and Canada. It's, it's in Germany now and starting to go quick. Um, it's fully legal in the UK, but only prescribed, you know, in private clinics. Uh, but it's not very well known, if you will. Um, so that education piece will start coming out. 
And I think there will be, you know, two or three winners um, in the online space. So the online direct consumer space. And, you know, we, we do plan to be one of them. Do you position the company slightly different with an idea that there is potential to be acquired by one of these big bohemets further down the road? Or you just keep doing what you're doing? So we exist, you know, for our customers and to try and do right by them. Um, you know, and then like I always say, our staff as well. So that's my focus to make sure we do right by our customers, right by our staff. We want to build our business, you know, properly. And, you know, so whether that's financial reporting, you know, whether it's making sure the right side of all the regs, all that sort of stuff, you know, that's how we build the business anyway. But our focus is on our customers and our staff, you know, not really how we're perceived by Big Pharma. But if that's the way it goes in the end, you know, so be it. If I was building this podcast again, I would understand the steps. Like if, if you came to me tomorrow and be like, hey, we're launching a NatureCon podcast, I could probably break it down in like an hour conversation. Okay, here's the 10 different roads I went down. Nine of them were dead ends and they led nowhere. Here's the one road that worked quite well. And yep. I could do that in various areas of, you know, from distribution to editing, et cetera. Did you learn lessons in your my protein journey that you've brought across to NatureCan, which now allows you to avoid those dead ends? A million percent. You know, that is, I guess that's the gig. I mean, I think we got lucky at my protein is, is that honestly, most things went pretty well. Um, but I'm sure that's luck, you know, generally. And you probably, you know, as a team, make your own luck to a degree. You know, we definitely work very hard. But yeah, there's, there's the learnings are there. You know, you know which markets you can be successful in. Um, I guess the biggest win, like I always talk about, is the people. You know, which people, you know, will come with you again um, and will do the business. Um, and then, you know, there's all the learnings about quality, about the supply chain. Yeah, th th that is, I think, second time around, you know, the major, the major benefit, all the learnings that you've got uh, consciously and subconsciously and managing to apply them again. In a dream world 12 months from now, what sort of progress have you made? Where is the company at? How are you positioned? Dream world. Premiership, and that's looking like we'll deliver that. So that's the first thing, burn the football club. <laughs> um, secondly, I would say we're well on the way to 20 million turnover at NatureCan. Thirdly, I would hope that Ecomplete, you know, which is the other business I'm involved in, you know, is completed another, I guess, successful acquisition. Um, and I would hope going back to NatureCan that we are operating in the medical cannabis space uh, in the UK. You know, and, and building nicely in that area. Andy, it's a fascinating story. It's one that people can draw so much inspiration from. They can draw so many lessons. And I think if somebody really unpacks the My Protein journey and the Nature Can journey, they're going to see similarities, but they're also going to see a little breadcrumb trail that they can follow to start building their side hustle or start building their dream business. Andy, thanks very much for taking the time and shining the spotlight on your endeavors. Thanks a lot for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family and social obligations, but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling. Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dream.
dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com.